Welcome to what the if 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 follow the bouncing if. Welcome every. Whoa! Hey, it just plays again. That's. <laughs> Turns out if you hit the uh, infinity button, I wonder if it actually plays to infinity. What the if? That I think that was probably what happened. Wow! Right? right at the death yeah. of the universe, there's one podcast theme still playing. How are you both, Matt and Gabby? Uh, I am coursing off to infinity. Whoa! That's a long course. Yeah, and I'm uh, Douglas Adams style at the podcast at the end of the universe. Oh, so that's, good. that's a good name. There's got to be one. That would be good. There's yeah. got to be one. Um, well, this is a big day. A big day, Gabby. We are welcoming Gabby. We we uh, we have achieved. Uh, I don't know that it's, any, it's something anyone knew we were striving for, but we have achieved grand unified podcast theory. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Matt? Would you explain? That's right. Yeah, I think everybody is looking for that. Yeah. Um, well, for uh, for a period of time, we had um, uh, two podcasts, a duology of podcasts, a dyad in the podcast universe. <laughs> um, uh, but we have now uh, brought them together uh, and found that they were but uh, two manifestations of a deeper underlying podcast. That's true. Um, That's true. Yeah. So we're uh, we're all we're all together now. That's very good. Um, Gap, yes. So for those of who, those of us, those of you who have been following along, we we experimented with Fantastic Voyage, and with Gabby because Gabby joined us during the pandemic. Unbelievably, it's almost a year um, since the pandemic began. And I think, Gabby, I don't know if you remember when did we start doing COVID-related podcasts? I think it was in April. Yeah, I think it was sometime in April. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And um, we did that for a long time, and then uh, Gabby has just grown to be a full member, uh, I don't, it's not super ifers for people who send in ideas. In fact, we have a super ifer we're welcoming today. I don't know, Matt, do we have, what are we, grand poo ifers? Um, uh, poo is a little gross. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking poobah, like grand poobah. But yeah, we need something beyond that. Yeah. Ultimate ifers. Ultimate ifers, <laughs> that's good. Uh, and now, Gabby, I'm going to play some music. I'm just going to play my favorite song to welcome you. <laughs> this is it. This is my greatest sentence. <laughs> yeah. Woo! You know, let's take a moment to uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Gabby. I don't think we've... Um, pe people have heard you and have uh, very much enjoyed your contribution to our show and uh, your incredible gift for science communication. And um, we know that you are at Rockefeller University and you are a virologist. But beyond that, we don't know. What, how would you, um, what's something you would like our listeners to know? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, definitely I'm a scientist. I really love science, uh, but I'm also a huge science fiction nut. Yes. Um, probably my boyfriend's least favorite thing is that I barely restrain my ability to critique laboratory settings in movies. Um, <laughs> That's dangerous. Yeah. It is so funny um, what people just slap into a frame for no reason. What's the craziest um, thing you've seen? Botched. Oh, God. Um, some of them are, are... What's funny is some of them do it so well up until one point. I, I got a shout out to, to the first Blade movie. Their laboratory setup, right. immaculate, except the microscope they just show like blood cells floating like this like infographic like that's not what it looks like underneath the microscope at all um and it's like this super like high-res like graphic image that someone is clearly like cgi'd and like slapped up on this screen but everything else about it is actually really good i think they just straight up went to a lab and just filmed there huh, all right cool. shout out to no the idea. blade uh <laughs> series is that wesley snipes Yes, it is. Uh, oh, yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yes, and, and the fact that your love for science fiction is something that uh, I love as well. And uh, I know Matt is also a huge science fiction aficionado. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was all right thinking people. Are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, that's kind of what we do here. We have a little bit of a blend. In fact, from the very beginning, one of the reasons we said, oh, you know, we're just, we're, we, we, let's bring everybody together. We're, we're all on the same page with this. Um, this little slogan I had uh, from the beginning, I think is still at the top of our website. Uh, make science fiction, learn science, right? It's a fun way yeah. to learn science. Sure. And so, um, and by the way, what ideas do we run with? How, where do our ifs come from? They often come from you, listeners, and you folks are all over the world. Um, and today, I'm excited to say we're, 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 we've got another fabulous if sent in by one of our listeners. And I'm not sure I know where you are, so let us know. Uh, but this is from Rude, uh, and, and, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Rude Smith, R-U-U-D. And uh, I, all I know is that you are in iCloud. <laughs> so coming in from Cloud City, um, and Rude writes in, and he says, what the if our eyes... So this is his message. What the, if our eyes could only see the spectrum of neutrinos or even beyond that, ah, what if they could see only the spectrum of the Higgs field? So that was a, a range of if he suggested to us. And Matt, I think mm -hmm. you have some ideas how to, how to um, focus that for us today. Uh, the first option, so the what if we could only see neutrinos? The first option, and I don't know what this means, maybe, and maybe you guys do. The first option, says Root, would imply chlorine basins the size of swimming pools. The second would require the size of the LHC. But beyond this insignificant technical issue, what would we see and how would it affect, how would it affect our lives? And Matt, you were saying of those two, the Higgs field. Let's just stick with the neutrinos. Yeah. And so. What the if? Our eyes could only see the spectrum of neutrinos. Now, Matt, the spectrum of neutrinos, what does that mean? Or, or it, are we just thinking neutrinos? Well, we're just thinking neutrinos, right. um, but they do come in different flavors, which is an important part mm, of the delicious. story, actually. Yeah. Um, um, so we should probably take a moment to talk about um, what neutrinos are and aren't. Um, it's uh, the, the name neutrinos, literally Italian for um, little, neutro little neutral thing, oh, um, uh, which is, is sort of adorably... Um, uh, named, uh, but it's quite appropriate. So, you know, we think if, if you ask, if you grab a, uh, let's say, fifth grader um, and say, what are gently, atoms made of? Gently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, with proper social distancing. Yes, you know, and permission. Um, and you say, what, what, what are atoms made of? Um, they'll probably say uh, uh, neutrons, protons, and electrons. Right. Um, I, I think we've drilled this into our elementary school kids right. pretty well. Right. Um, uh, but as, uh, uh, as should be no surprise, um, our science education actually isn't all that comprehensive. Um, so there's actually a, a vast number of subatomic particles beyond uh, neutrons, protons, uh, and electrons. Um, what is affectionately called the subatomic zoo. <laughs> yeah. um, That's real festive. I like that. <laughs> uh, and one of those, uh, one of the first members of the subatomic zoo beyond those, the, the three basics, um, was the neutrino. Um, and it was to solve this, this particular problem back in the 1930s uh, of um, there being a little bit of mass missing from a bunch of nuclear reactions. Um, things didn't add up quite right. Um, so uh, Wolfgang Pauli um, says, oh, what if there was a little neutri neutral thing in there, too, that was too small to see, um, but was there? And everybody's like, yeah, all right, that would fix things pretty well. So let's just imagine. See, a um, a so fine example of a, of a what the if appearing right. <laughs> in <laughs> science history. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, uh, the job of the neutrino um, was to be very small. Um, but not uh, zero mass, 
um, to have no charge. Uh, no charge. And to zip no around charge. at high speeds. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wow. And that was pretty much that, that was pretty much the job of it. It was just to kind of make some equations uh, balance out. Um, uh, and it wasn't until um, uh, quite a bit later that it was actually directly detected, um, because the the um, the the basic identity of the neutrino is so small that it's hard to detect. Um, so by definition, really hard to see. And how is it that there's there's one thing interesting here about this story, and I think it, it comes up a lot um, in the history of science, uh, at least, or when you're learning the history of science. He guessed it, but what can we? And, and and yet, it's something about the equations. I mean, what can? Is it fair to say that? Um, it wasn't a guess out of the blue, but I don't know. I mean, how does that work? Is that you have an equation, something's missing. It's a guess to, to fill in a gap. That yeah. is, it's often the case that you have a, you've got some phenomena you're looking at. Um, you've got a theory that explains it pretty well, um, but not perfectly. So uh, you, you stick in a little extra something um, to make your equation balance out right. Um, philosophers call this an ad hoc uh, construction, ah. meaning uh, to the case. Um, uh, in which you you invoke something um, that you don't know if it actually exists. So Einstein does this with the cosmological constant, for instance. Um, uh, and because your theory is so sweet that you don't want to give it up, uh, so you invoke this little extra something um, to make up the missing parts of your theory. Um, and then everybody likes this. because The theorists are happy because their theory now works. The experimentalists like it because now they have something to go look for um, and either they find it and they get the credit um, or they don't find it and they make the theorists look like jerks. So it's a win-win uh, for the experimentalists. I, I find that um, what's incredible to me about it is that it's as if it's a little bit, dare I say it, godlike or approaching. In other words, that the scientists are finding the rules of the universe, right? The physicists in particular, that's their thing. Mm -hmm. And they get to a point where they kind of figure it out, but there's something missing, but they understand so much of it. It's almost as if they're able to say, well, nature needs this, or, you know, that there's, they're really close. That to me shows a tremendously deep knowledge. Um, you know, that, that must be an unbelievable uh, feeling for whatever scientists any, yeah, know, it's that. really one, an extraordinary kind of moment where um, uh, you feel like you've got a real handle uh, on the nature of the universe, which is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, Rude asks, what if we could only see neutrinos? Yeah. Um, Gabby, do you have any, any tips on just the basics of vision? What would that mean? How does that work? Yeah, so in our eyes, we have photoreceptors. Um, those are rods and cones, which I'm sure most people have at least heard of. Um, rods, which are used more in dark vision. Cones, which are used more in light and color vision. Um, fun fact, actually, rods can't see color. So at night, uh, you might not notice that your vision is actually black and white. Um, I actually didn't notice that until someone pointed it out to me once. And we also have sort of photosensitive uh, retinal ganglion cells. These are nerve cells that are also just able to sense light. So, what were those called? Ganglion photo? Ganglion cells, yes. Yeah. All right. So, basically, our eyes process light. Um, we actually process color kind of interestingly, uh, based on what I've read, that we, it requires multiple cells to sort of uh, fire because. A cone will always fire if it's hit by a certain number of photons. But collectively, by determining the photons that are hit by multiple different cones, uh, your brain can process what color it is. That, that's, you know, red or, um, you know, green or something along those lines. And um, just the composition of eyes tends to vary a lot based on organism. So what's specialized to whether or not that organism is a nocturnal or diurnal creature. So we're awake in the day. We have, you know, more cones than rods. Um, but if you're an owl, 
they have a ton of rods. Their eyes are jam-packed with them oh. uh, because they need to be able to see in the dark. Very cool. Yeah, owls are cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Matt, if this means that uh, our eyes are, are our, our eyes, not the eyes in the rude universe that he is proposing. Right, yeah, normal human eyes. Normal human eyes respond to interactions with Electrons, I guess. Photons. 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 Yep. So little packets of light called photons. Right. Um, and as, as Gabby described, the, the crucial element here is, so photons come off of the thing <clears throat> that you want to see, and that might be being emitted directly, say, from a computer screen or from a light bulb, um, or photons might get emitted from the light bulb and then bounce off the wall and then hit your eye. But the essential moment is that the photon hits the cells in your eye and gets caught, captured. Um, and that moment of catching um, begins the biological sequence that we call seeing, right? eventually triggering something in the brain. Um, so in order to do that, so for instance, we've got the, the rods and the cones, which are different kinds of photoreceptors to catch different kinds of photons, because we want to get as many photons as we can. Um, when your pupil dilates, it's so more photons get let in, so you can oh, catch more. Right, yeah. so this is the essential yeah. thing. The problem is that it's really hard to catch a neutrino. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Right. Whereas your eye stops the photon, and that's how you catch it. The neutrino just whizzes through you. Yeah. Um, and that's in fact, uh, that's is whizzing or is it billions? What? A lot of them vast numbers. Yeah, um, vast numbers are whizzing through you right now. Yes, that's right. You are you are a, a neutrino screen that stops nothing right now. Um, <laughs> they're just zooming through you in, in huge quantities. So if you want to see them, um, that kind of sucks because you can't catch the neutrino in the first place. <clears throat> Um, so this was so this was the basic problem experimenters had back in the 1930s when it was first proposed, which is how do you catch it such that you then reassure yourself that it's there? Um, so basically, the only kind of interaction that neutrinos have with matter is through what's called the weak nuclear force, um, and as the name suggests, it doesn't happen very often. Um, so basically what you have to do um, is uh, every now and then if a neutrino hits um, a proton just so, it will get captured and uh, the proton will give off an electron and turn into a neutron. So we get this, this chain of nuclear reactions. Right. Um, but it's extremely difficult. So like I said the neutrino has to hit the proton just right. Um, so what you do, if you want to detect them, is you stick a bunch of protons, that is atomic nuclei, in one place, um, and you wait to see um, a proton turn into a neutron. Um, this is tricky because protons and neutrons are small. Right? Um, and essentially, when we say a proton turns into a neutron, um, what's happening there is that one kind of atom is turning into a different kind of atom. Um, because its nucleus is changing. Um, so the, the reference to chlorine that we have here uh -huh. uh, is it turns out that chlorine atoms are particularly good, uh, are the right combination of being good at catching neutrinos and being cheap. Um, and then uh, chlorine turns, uh, if a chlorine atom catches a neutrino, it turns into an argon atom. Okay? Um, chlorine is a liquid, argon is a gas. So that atom of argon will then uh, bubble up through the chlorine. Uh, and so, hence so the a swimming neutrino, pool. Yep. That's right. So a neutrino detector is a whole bunch of chlorine um, and then a argon detector at the top of that tank of chlorine. So what you actually have is a poorly paid graduate student, oh. say someone like Abby, um, <laughs> whose job is to sit there and watch the argon detector and wait for it to go tick. And every time it goes tick, that's one neutrino that's been caught. So it's um, like being a lifeguard at a really, really crappy pool. Yep, that's, that is a really good analogy. <laughs> that really um, stinks. 
It's like, yeah, it's really and, strong, Corey. And you need it to be as big as possible because neutrino interaction is so infrequent. So the neutrino detectors, which, you know, they sound like they should be this fancy um, piece of technology, like out of, a, out of Blade or something. Um, but actually, um, the first neutrino detector was an abandoned mine in South Dakota that they filled with dry cleaning fluid because that's mostly chlorine. Um, and it's cheap. So, uh, and then the graduate students would sit at the top um, and wait for the ticks on the argon detector. But boy, were their clothes clean. <laughs> and pressed well. I'm sure they were yep. well pressed. That is about right. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, so you wait. Um, and a, 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 uh, let's see, a related problem is getting neutrino sources. Um, so, because you, you need nuclear reactions to produce these in large numbers. So sometimes that's atomic bombs, sometimes that's nuclear reactors, sometimes that's the sun. Uh, um, I want a hot, really bad swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of, yeah, that's right. It's, it's poisonous and smelly, and you need to be near large amounts. There's of a classic scene in the movie Caddyshack in which there are children in the pool and a unpleasant object a biological object mm. appears mm. in the pool and everybody freaks out. They go, duty! <laughs> and everyone duty! And they all run and then panic. Um, yep. It's like that except the opposite. So they shout, neutrino! Neutrino, that's right. And everybody runs in saying, do we get the Nobel Prize yet? Yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's kids swim, there's adult swim, and then there's neutrino swim. Neutrino swims, yeah. Um, so I should say by the um, 1950s, they're finally able to build um, neutrino detectors of this sort. Um, there's essentially three of these around the world. Um, one, one in South Dakota, one in Japan, um, and one in Italy, um, because they're huge and difficult uh, to operate. Um, and the number of neutrinos you get is like a few dozen per day, right? This uh, out of the uh, billions and billions um, that are actually zooming through. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So the first problem um, that you have if our eyes detect neutrinos is unless our eyes are the size of a giant abandoned mine in South Dakota. Oh wow! We're not going to see very much. Wow. So I feel like that would... bodes well for you know eldritch entity life, though. Like if you know that we're not normal <laughs> regular humans, this is like you know Cthulhu from the deep. He, he could see neutrinos. Uh, that's right. Maybe that's why, in fact, Cthulhu has to be so big is to, uh, to be able to, to see these. Um, so one solution to this, if we want to say engineer an organism that can see neutrinos is to have gigantic eyes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and by gigantic, I mean, gigantic, right? <laughs> the size of, the size of buildings. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and even then the world is going to be a pretty dim place, uh, because we're catching very few neutrinos. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. So you have, <laughs> I think we have to go with this. This is, this is insane. But so, so we've, we have now become creatures who have eyes the size of buildings. And what, what, what kind of building? Like, I mean, how big a building do you think? Like, well, I said as, as big as possible. So right. if we can walk around with um, Empire State Building size eyes, okay. that's pretty good. Right. All right. So we're, <laughs> Which is a thousand oh. feet tall, and um, how many meters is that? Uh, yeah, three hundred. Three hundred or so meters. Yeah, in diameter. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, back problems are going to be more frequent. Um, I can imagine just you know trying not to get something in your eye. <laughs> imagine an eyelash that's also the size of the Empire State Building. Uh, yeah, that would be, um, inconvenient. Yes. Uh, the, just, you know, the, the saline droppers are going to be, um, very important in now, this world. Yeah. Now to keep this, to keep, to keep this, uh, in, in some kind of boundary here, uh, we could scale up humans to the size where your eyes would be, uh, the diameter of the Empire State Building. And so um, what, okay. what would that make, if we just scale that up normally, how tall does that make the average person, for instance? Oh, man. I don't know. Let's see. Her eyes are what? An inch across? Um, and the five-foot-tall person would be 60 
inches tall, so let's call it 60 times the size of the Empire State Building. So that's 60,000 feet. So that's twice the... <laughs> twice the height of Mount um, Everest. Uh, that's twice the height of um, plane cruising altitude. Yeah. Right. So that's another thing you're going to you're gonna have to watch out. You could get a plane in your eye. <laughs> Very easily. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. That would be inconvenient. So, so to make this work, I think we we need to be on another planet, right? So, so I think um, it would help to be on a planet that had um, uh, lighter gravity. Surely true. Yeah. Yeah, and big, it just it seems to be it would have it would just have to be bigger. Let's say, yeah. right? Okay. Um, and so we've just scaled everything up. So it's mm-hmm. it's a bigger planet, and um, we are. 60,000 feet tall, which as someone who of modest height, barely even that, I can say that sounds awesome to me. Um, yeah, same. That's very enticing. Math did, Matt did the math for exactly how tall I would be for that. <laughs> I'm a tall person. So I, I'm perfectly fine with being, you know, 60,000 feet tall. Is that that our end and height? Yeah. Um, there, is, there is an inconvenience beyond things like um, having gigantic eyeballs, though. Um, which is that, uh, for the same reason that we need gigantic eyes, that is neutrinos don't interact with stuff very easily. Um, we're not going to see very much. So I can see, um, my dog because I can smell her no matter what, because she's really stinky, but I can see her because photons bounce off of her. That is, they interact with her, um, and then are re-emitted, um, and hit my eye. And then the photons take on, you know, her characteristics when they bounce off her. So then my eyes register that as that's my dog. The problem is that neutrinos will zoom right through her. Um, I mean, she's big, but she's not big enough to stop neutrinos. So the neutrinos never bounce off of her and then hit our eyes. So I can't see my dog anymore, which is a really oh, sad thing. Yes. When you think about it. Yeah. Um, so since neutrinos so infrequently interact with matter, they don't bounce off matter. So really, we're only going to be able to see direct neutrino sources, um, which, as I mentioned, is a fairly small range of things. So we could ah. see nuclear reactors and you could see nuclear reactors on the other side of the planet, which I guess would be kind of cool. Yeah. Because the neutrinos would just zoom through the planet. Right. Um, you could oh, see. Oh, you um, mean literally th- you could look down at your feet. Yep, and you would see the nuclear reactor in Japan. So basically, you can see through the planet. Yep, that's right. So this is the cool thing about neutrinos. That's pretty wild. Is that they zoom through everything. Right, um, right. As long as it's a source of neutrinos. Um, another nifty trick is that you can see the sun at night because the sun's neutrinos will just zoom through the Earth, the surface of the Earth. Whoa. Whoa. That's wild. So this is my dumb, you know, building off of that. I think this means that Godzilla could see neutrinos. Because isn't he? Okay. He's like radioactive as hell, right? That's like right, because he, he's radioactive as hell. He yeah. off of nuclear sources. So, yeah. you know, he's got to be able to hunt and down I should, that. And maybe that explains why he can always find the other kaiju, the other giant yeah. monsters. Um, is because they're all neutrino emitters and can see neutrinos. So that's how they know how to meet each other and fight. <laughs> yeah. Or he could even be, you know... Um, it's interesting that neutrinos, if neutrinos are a vast stream going through everything, it seems to me that maybe one of the ways you would actually see things, perhaps even better, is in silhouette. Is that possible? Well, the problem well, is that they have to be blocking silhouettes, them. you need some opacity, right? Right, right, right. Um, so it just gets more and more inconvenient, really. It's, um, yeah. uh, it, it's, a, it's a difficult state of things. Um, and unfortunately, that's not uh, uh, the end of the inconvenience <laughs> one gets when trying to um, uh, see the world just through neutrinos. Um, uh, another is that there's three flavors of neutrinos. Okay? Uh-huh. Um, and it turns out that they, they have what's called an oscillation, meaning they shift between um, the three different kinds. So it would be as though your ice cream, you order chocolate ice cream, and then you wait a minute and suddenly it's vanilla. And you wait another minute. Strawberry. And if you don't say if you don't mind, if you're that's right, if you're a Neapolitan fan, then it's kind of cool to get a different flavor in each bite. Um, but if you really like chocolate um, and you bite and you get vanilla, then you're going to be unhappy. 
So part of the problem is that most neutrino detectors are built to catch just one of these flavors of neutrinos. So if our eyes only catch tau neutrinos and not uh, muon neutrinos, um, then we can only see a the, um, the, the problem is that the, the individual neutrinos can oscillate. So it might look like the sun is blinking on and off rapidly because the neutrinos Whoa. are changing flavor and we can't see them. So you're like, it's like colorblind, but you're like neutrino yeah, flavor right. blind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I should say this was an enormous problem um, when the first uh, neutrino experiments were set up because of course they look at the sun and um, one of the things that uh, one of the things you do when you're set up setting up an experiment is you kind of need to know what you're looking for before you can look for it right it's very hard to just look for things in the abstract um, so they set up uh, they they went to the nuclear physicists and they said how many neutrinos should we be expecting to get from the sun and the astrophysicist said uh, this many um, and then the observers uh, set up their neutrino observatories and they say, well, we're seeing about a third of that. Uh, so is our observatory bad? Are the astrophysicists idiots? What's the problem? So this was known as the solar neutrino problem for, for some decades, actually. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, one of the proposed solutions, which turned out to be right, was that the three kinds of neutrinos oscillate. They change from state to state um, just whenever they feel like it. Um, so we've got these giant eyes, um, and we can see nuclear reactors and we can see the sun and we can see supernovae, um, but they're all blinking on and off, um, uh, rapidly, uh, at the same time. So I guess it's kind of a perpetual strobe effect as well. So bad if you're an epileptic giant. That's right. <laughs> an epileptic giant who doesn't like Neapolitan ice cream. Um, it's going to be a really hard way to live. <laughs> and. Well, it's interesting when Rude said, um, he talked about the spectrum, right, of neutrinos. And so it's possible that we would have cones or rods or something like that that would allow us to see the three different types. Yeah, that's right. That would, that would be a good evolutionary adaptation. Um, the problem then, <laughs> though, uh, is that we probably have to triple the size of our eyes again. Yes. Well, let's do um, it. <laughs> So we are now, we've gone from 60,000 feet tall to 180,000 feet tall, mm -hmm. which is, um, that puts your head, at least if you were on Earth, well into, into space. Um, oh, it's, no, no, not quite that much. It's about, that's about three miles. Is that right? Um, really high. Yeah. Uh, the question is, um, I don't know, is, is that worth it, right? Is this, is this a good evolutionary strategy at the end of the day? Um, uh, and I guess that's up to you, right? If you really want to be tall, this is a good excuse. So, Gabby, how do you, what, what, what's a more reasonable configuration for these creatures? Well, you know, that's, that's actually something I've been thinking about. And maybe it's like, you know, two-part question for Matt. So, Matt had said that we use chlorine because it's pretty good neutrino grabber and it's cheap. But as far as expense goes, well, what's a really, really good neutrino grabber that you don't have to worry about it? Like if you were magically given all the money in the world, what's the best neutrino grabber? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I do not. All I can say is it is a Ronco product, no doubt. <laughs> the neutrino grabber. Um, Set it and forget <laughs> it. Uh, it's probably just a, fa a factor of number of protons, um, just sheer density. That is, the, the denser the stuff, the better. So if we can get, like, um, uranium, that would be pretty cool. Um, there's a problem, of course, with packing too much uranium in one place. Um, uh, but basically, uh, as, as, as dense as you can make it, uh, uh, life, is, life is better then. So occasionally, so these are... <laughs> when you say uranium, do you mean that the the creatures would have uranium in their eyes, like vast amounts of uranium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. All right. So, you know, occasionally, one, one problem on this planet is occasionally there's a runaway chain reaction. And, yeah, but that's well, worth it. Yeah. My, my second one is maybe not necessarily seeing neutrinos directly, but similar to what Phil said about visualizing them some other way. Um, mm -hmm. So we visualize them as a neutrino gets caught by chlorine, which releases argon. Um, yeah. But if you were on an entirely chlor chlorine planet, if you had some ability to sense argon, then you would probably be able to 
kind of sense your way around more, which I guess that would be a more. Well, yeah. What if, what if, okay. So this is interesting because what if we had sea creatures, right. Or, you know, that lived in a lake or an ocean of chlorine, um, something this just does not exist on Titan, but it seems to be it's the kind of thing that on Titan you have vast lakes, methane, and things like that. Um, so what if there was a planet that had a huge ocean of chlorine and yeah. cre creatures, so they're sea creatures, so they could have these giant eyes, just like creatures, as you were talking about, the mythical creatures, but we also have real creatures that live at the bottom of the Earth's ocean that have huge eyes. Um, that would be possible. Yeah, that's right. So the sea creature is a And they'd good be strategy. very clean, by the way. There'd be no yeah. duty in the pool. If there was duty in the pool, it um, wouldn't matter. Yeah, because by the way, solve... there would be a lot of duty in that pool because these creatures are big. Um, sea creature solves a lot of the problems of being a gigantic yeah. critter. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, yeah, and that might be a good explanation for why you would have uh, an excuse to have such leviathans. Um, yeah. On an alien ocean planet, or maybe even on something like Jupiter, right? Um, swimming through the, the gas giants. Um, uh, you just need to have an interesting reason to, it's not, something interesting that gives off neutrinos um, that's worth seeing. Maybe we're back to Godzilla then. Well, it could just yeah. be the sun itself, right? That, um... Yeah, it's possible. I suppose. Or oh, these are, you know, uh, chemosynthetic organisms, sort of hydrothermal vent style. I got to hunt out nuclear reactor, you know, a la Godzilla sort of, but, you know, mm -hmm. taking off of how they actually exist. Yeah. So let's say we let evolution run its course, right? And it's a planet where these are evolving. What, what kinds of, you know, eventually what might evolve? So they're in, on the chlorine or with these giant sea creatures living under in a chlorine sea, and um, uh, what does that tell us, Gabby, about what they may be made of? Like, could we? What if? What if we jumped into a chlorine swimming, a pure chlorine sea? What would happen to us? It'd be bad, right? I don't um, think yeah, it'd so. be great for your skin. Yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, don't do that. So these the these creatures have have something that can withstand living in chlorine. And they have these mm -hmm. giant eyes, and they see neutrino. They see by neutrinos only. Um, Matt, I think they could they be astronomers from under this living under the sea. They would be able to see supernovas um, <laughs> uh, really easily, so that would be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, because the neutrinos are pouring through, and they can see through their own planet. Yep, that's right. So they could see all the neutrinos not in the galaxy <laughs> so at if the this, same time. If this planet is near, is a black hole a source of neutrinos? Or what, what are some other? Uh, probably, but we don't actually know. Right. So where, in other words, if this planet is near a giant source of neutrinos, um, that would be quite interesting. And if somehow they could block neutrinos, or there was something on this planet that did block neutrinos and allowed them to have this silhouette effect or something that would be quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that'd be nifty. Yeah. Um, contact lenses would be, I think... Um, Very expensive. Amazing. Yeah. On this <laughs> well, see, they're in chlorine. I think they're wearing giant goggles, right? That, I think that's, you know, when we go swimming, because the chlorine burns your eyes, you, you put on... Swimming goggles. So they're wearing gigantic yeah, okay. swimming goggles. Um, might we learn something uh, new if we could see? For Gabby, uh, here's something I've always been curious about with scientists. Uh, the inability to visualize something versus the ability to visualize, it seems to make a huge difference, right? Like, how do you think if you could suddenly see something which is invis which is currently invisible and is streaming through us like crazy, um, how would that um, affect you? Well, I think if you happen to be a scientist who studies neutrinos, that is a great boon <laughs> yeah. that you've been given. 
Because now you can answer all of the questions of, you know, like not saying, oh, well, do these, do black holes release neutrinos? Well, you just kind of turn your eyes towards your giant multi-story eyes towards a black mm-hmm. hole. And you can answer that question uh, pretty well. So um, these people develop television as, as all intelligent creatures would. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, can we have a neutrino television? Um, well, if we've got, presumably if we have, um, uh, neutrino eyes, uh, we're pretty good at building neutrino, artificial neutrino detectors as well. So there's no reason you can't make a neutrino camera if you've got that, uh, technology mastered. Yeah. Um, uh, then there's the transmission problem, getting the signal from point A to point B. Um, and I think ironically, uh, they'd be better off, um, using, uh, light or radio waves to transmit their signal from place to place. So they might accidentally uh, discover optical style eyes um, in the process of making their neutrino television. Yeah. Station. Plus, boy, talk about privacy issues. Um, if you're looking at something on a screen, everyone on the planet, including on the other side of the planet, can see it. So imagine if you could see all they all they develop uh they all have iPhones n phones neutrino phones and on this planet and yet when you look around the surface of the planet when you look down you can see a vast inverted sphere of iPhones all the iPhones moving around on the planet I just blew your mind <laughs> <laughs> uh Gabby, is there a health risk, do you think, to having, or, or Matt, either, do we know, is there a health risk now? Because it seems to me if you were that huge, uh, you the, these neutrinos, which we can see with our eyes, are also going through our body, which we're already doing. Um, do neutrinos cause uh, damage to us? Generally, no, because uh-huh. like I said they, they interact so infrequently and so difficult, right. um, in such difficult ways that... Um, uh, the answer is no. So you have to be um, a delicate electrical or chemical system um, because the neutrino capture happens on the order of one atom at a time. Um, so right now, if I stick one atom of anything inside you, your body doesn't care. That's so small, um, no matter how bad the stuff is. Um, but if I'm a delicate electrical system, um, I might actually depend on single atom interactions. Oh, yeah. Uh, so one um, neutrino can. Um, uh, can mess that up. Uh, and Gabby, I think you had some Nintendo-related oh, yeah. anecdote about that. I did. Uh, so a it was a Super Mario 64 uh, speedrun in, I think it was 2013, where it, it was recorded. It was people competing, essentially, for the record. And speedrunners often rely on glitches, but there was a part where there was a glitch that teleported the character really, really high up into the air and just, like, sped them past uh, a bunch of other parts of the level. And it was not replicatable for a really, really long amount of time. Um, and they eventually realized that it seemed to have been a neutrino. No way. Hitting the cartridge and flipping a bit at exactly the right point, which changed Mario's size, um, <laughs> the, the height. And the, the slight change in height happened to be the exact amount needed to warp Mario up to the higher floor at that exact moment. So a speed run... Like essentially, a world record speed run happened uh, because a neutrino hit that cartridge at exactly the right time. This may be the thing that catalyzes once that news spreads further because of this podcast today. Mm-hmm. Now that that we've spread that news even further, where do, by the way, where did you find that? I I heard about it somehow, like just like through the internet. I mean, I do watch the occasional place. speed run, right? Um, right. So, but yeah, I, well, now that this story has gone even further than the internet, imagine that. Um, I would think that if you're a gamer, you know, there's this huge obsession with customizing your gaming rig. You know, you want the fastest computer, you got a liquid nitrogen pooled <laughs> CPU and all this <laughs> stuff, right? Um, I think that something that captures neutrinos um, that allow you to get world record. Um, speed runs is a big thing. I mean, that, that would be a pretty awesome uh, um, 
thing to have. So yeah. uh, lastly, Gabby, take us across this planet. You, you've just arrived on this planet as an explorer. And what do you see and what do you do to, to begin to understand uh, life on uh, planet, uh, what do you want to call it? Neutrino. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing probably like a whopping like six really tall people. Uh, because <laughs> I can't imagine that the density of this, this, this planet is going to be that high if you are so, 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 so large. Right. Yeah. Well, well, they're um, underwater, right? So they're, they're under, oh, oh, we're, we're underwater, in the chlorine yeah. sea. And so we go down, maybe you have a little submersible. And Oh, then this is going to be a little terrifying. Yeah. It's going to be like, you know, really some, some Mariana Trench shifting things in the darkness that when yes. the lights of my submarines swing across them, they're just huge yeah, eyes. You've got thassalophobia. This is not the... Yeah, the this food. is not the spot for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, just really, really huge creatures. God forbid my sub is nuclear powered because uh, then it's, <laughs> I'm going to just be surrounded by them. I'm just very curious about whatever it is I've got going on. Yeah, Matt, what would they see if this nuclear powered sub is flying around in there? Neighborhood. They would see a very bright spot of light in the shape of a nuclear reactor. Ah, okay. So we don't know if, yeah, they'd probably be afraid of that for a little bit, but then they might try to. Yeah, they'd come over and say hello. Hello. Yes. Well, they'd need sunglasses. Uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, what, what would you, beyond, uh, so photography you're certainly gathering, what other things might you want to gather to bring back to your um, lab? Uh, the lab from, I would from Blade. Be, I would be fascinated to bring back uh, to the lab from Blade. Um, I'd love to know what their eyes are made of, how exactly they're processing it. Uh, so, I mean, unfortunately, I think it'd be kind of cruel to uh, dissect one of these dudes. But uh, if I could do a little light, probably, yeah. little light grave robbing, perhaps for the sake of science, that might be right. nice. Yeah. And so, what what does that mean? So, you have to. Um, how much of the eye would you need to? take back oh god I'd, you know i'd probably try to take a, a good sample if there was a large variation in this super organ structure i have to call it a super organ because you know it's like 60 feet tall um then i would probably sample from the different parts and record these different parts of it yeah but if it was just seemed pretty uniform i'd probably take a you know a couple different sections from a couple different places so that i have you know, cells to look at from there, right. maybe right. reconstruct based on observations of what the structures look like, maybe what the purpose was. Although I suspect, you know, we're going to be looking at something super, super alien since none of our eyes uh, function this way at all. Yeah, it seems right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and would there ever be anything that we could adapt to? Well, suppose we brought that back to Earth. Do we think this, is there anything that we might be able to adapt. Well, actually, it sounds like the, what we were saying, to clarify the, our findings here, was that it wasn't that there was anything, we didn't do anything, we didn't give them any special m new medical abilities, we simply made them bigger. Is that right? Or um, did I? Yes, I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's no hope for us. You know, we can't gain anything from this unless we learn to expand our eyes. Well, I said, uh, well, astrophysicists will be very excited about it. And don't we yeah. use neutrino pools for other stuff? Like, I feel like I've heard, don't we use them to track, like, nuclear power and stuff? Like, can't um, Yeah, that's right. So you can, like I said, you can um, instantly tell who starts up a nuclear reactor anywhere on the planet. So that's, that, that's handy if you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, and you can also see nuclear explosions. So it's one way to monitor things like um, nuclear test ban trees. Yeah. They, right. They could probably monitor Earth no matter where they are. Yep. Um, That's right. Yeah. I, I just say that would probably be kind of alarming. So these critters are living on Jupiter and swimming around and having a fine time. And then all of a sudden, 1945 comes, and there's a little blip of light. Yeah. And then more blips of light, and more blips of light, and yeah. more blips of light. And they're saying, what is going on with the Earthlings? Yeah. yeah. The neighbors won't shut their lights off. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so bright. Off the spotlight. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, 
And uh, what was I going to say? I, th I think that ultimately the brains on – how big is their brain? If, if these, uh, how, <laughs> these were 180,000-foot long creatures, um, and therefore their, their brain is what? I don't even it would be so vast it becomes a whole nother Large, yeah. a whole nother if. But what I'm going to guess is that these are incredible um, physicists, astronomers. Who knows what? Right? They would be. Mm -hmm. I think they would probably be really harsh competition. In which case, I could imagine astronomers, astrobiologists um, discovering this planet. Discovering these creatures, learning that their uh, abilities with science were so extraordinary that they would tell nobody about it. Just be like, we don't need the competition. Let's just shut that down. I feel like this description is really making me feel like they would make a wicked cosmic encounter card. Like, what, the, what's a cosmic encounter? No, what is that? Oh, it's great. It's a board game that will make you hate your friends uh, and it takes like 16 hours and I love it. <laughs> um, and it's essentially you get different alien powers that in each way break the game subtly. Um, so you have, for example, like the parasite and your ability is um, you can parasitize other people's ships and steal them. But anyway, basically that description sounds a lot like a, a cosmic encounter alien card. So highly <laughs> yeah. entice anyone in the audience to Google or if you happen to know what I'm talking about, tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Matt, how do, how do you think uh, this discovery, to be less um, cynical than I am, perhaps, how would this what would this discovery, what how would uh, Earth react? Uh, well, if it's the first discovery of alien life, then that's pretty Party. cool. Right. Um, but this this suggests entirely new realms of biology. Um, and uh, what we think of as the nature of life. I mean, surely their biochemistry is a lot different than ours. Uh, so I think would um, a normal, uh, on one hand, on the biological hand, uh, enormously change what we think of as uh, the nature of life and, and what it, uh, the possibility of life elsewhere in the universe. And on the physics side, now we have buddies who can just see neutrinos whenever we want. Yeah. Um, so those grad students don't have to sit in the smelly mine in South Dakota anymore. That's right. We con so we can contract out. Yeah. So yeah. we would give a grant, you know, mm -hmm. to to uh, Planet Chlorine. Uh, yeah, it's better than Planet Neutrinos. Planet Chlorine. Planet uh, Swimming Pool. Um, Gabby, Lindy, last um, thoughts. How would this change your way of being if you discovered this planet? I don't think I'd be a virologist anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I feel like I'd get real sucked into just looking at this. I'm going to go for the other scale. Yeah. 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 You know, I focus on really, really, really tiny. So that's totally given me all the tools I need to focus on something really, 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 really big. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. I mean, the thing that brings to mind for me that I find amazing is that uh, another reminder of what we may very well encounter in the universe if and when we start discovering life elsewhere. You know, I don't, um, mm -hmm. you, there, it certainly exists in science fiction literature, but interestingly, you don't see a lot of um, stories. Yeah, I've not run, it's not like a, there's not like a whole genre or subgenre of stories about really enormous creatures. Right. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that uh, mm -hmm. whales themselves, it's even, you know, hard to envision how huge whales are. If you're fortunate enough to get to go whale watching or something, you, you kind of get a sense, right? And if maybe if you're lucky enough for them to jump above the water or if you get to go scuba diving and maybe swim alongside them or something like that. But they're building sized creatures, but they would be nothing compared to this, <laughs> this kind of thing. And, and That's right. A whole other scale. I'm so curious as to what, uh, one of the things about searching for extraterrestrial life is um, one of the questions I would think would be, what are the limits of a living system or a living creature? How big can it be? And it would seem to me that it doesn't, you know, as long as the planet um, supports it, there, is, there would be no limit 
right? Well, in water, they'd, do, they'd be able to get bigger than they would on land. Because on right. land, you right. have the problem with verticality of, uh, of gravity. It's why taller people actually don't live as long as shorter people. Uh-huh. And why extremely, extremely tall people, like those with, you know, gigantism who are, you know, like seven foot, eight foot tall, they, they don't tend to live. I think the oldest one that I was looking up lived to like their 40s. But it, people don't tend to live that long because your heart just can't pump blood that far up your body. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So sea, sea, and not just sea-based, but then the question would be, can creatures live in these other chemicals? Yeah. And if so, what other chemicals? You know, probably not all of them. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely fascinating. I don't think we'll find that it's, Mars is not going to give us something like this. Um, Mars but, is not, but Jupiter might. Jupiter might. And Titan, in, in, probably not creatures of this size or anything, but Titan is a real mystery. It literally, you know, it has lakes of methane and mm-hmm. mountains of water ice and things like that. Um, and we are sending, uh, I believe we are sending a helicopter there as well. We are. It's called, I think it's called Dragonfly. Um, That's uh, tight. Yeah. It's a good name. It's going to be amazing. So, well, thank you. Thank you for truly expanding our minds and our eyes. Uh, Rude, thank you for writing in. Uh, Let us know where you're writing in from. I'd love to know. And in fact, whoever you are, you're listening to us right now. I'd love to know where are you? Are you on planet chlorine? Are you, uh, um, can you see neutrinos? If so, let us know what they look like. That would be fun. Mm -hmm. Can you taste the flavors? That would be fantastic. <laughs> if you could, what would they taste like? That'd be fun. But uh, no, but literally, we'd love to know. We, we always love to know. We have a huge uh, global audience, and uh, it's really fun to hear from people near and far. Um, you can write to us at feedback at whattheif.com, or you can go to our website, whattheif.com. Um, you can find out more about who these crazy people are who are talking to you. You can um, find for every episode, um, we have a wonderful a researcher on board now, uh, also named Gabby, and uh, a different Gabby. And she is um, pulling together additional material for every episode. So if you go to whattheif.com and you want to know more about this subject, it'll be there shortly after this uh, episode goes up. Uh, If you have not subscribed, do so on your podcast. Whatever you're listening to right now, the thing you're using right now, you can subscribe. And that means it shows up automatically. I'm sure you've subscribed before. If you don't know how to subscribe and you've always wondered and you need some help, send me a message and I'll let you know. Um, We would also love for you to leave us a review and a rating. Um, There are, um, sometimes podcasts are like neutrinos. There's a zillion of them, Mm -hmm. but you only can see a certain number of them. And one of the things that makes us brighter in the podcast universe is your reviews and the number of stars you put. Think of those as neutrinos. We'll take five neutrinos uh, on whatever service you're listening to us on. That would be wonderful. And if you can write a little review, that's great. But you don't have to even just clicking the stars is is helpful as well. Uh, Gabby, do you have anything you want to plug? Nope, I am plugless. Plug. We're unplugged. Uh, Matt, how about you? No, likely to be unplugged for a little while yet. All right. All right. And yet you are both vaccinated. I am still, I am now coming down with a very severe case of FOMO, fear of missing out. You know, I'm just, I'm just hiding. I'm just waiting my turn, but I'm okay. Waiting my turn while people um, who need it more than I do get it. I won't jump the line. Um, Gabby, so good to have you on board. Yeah. Yeah, super fun. And now you get, to, I don't, yeah, well, you, you, you were on What the If maybe a, a few times in the past, but you now get to join us for our ritual. Oh, yes. And uh, maybe, Gabby, would you, do you think you can explain to listeners this ritual? Yeah, at the end of the episode, we uh, scream the name of the show in terror of what the universe holds, terror and awe of what the universe holds for us. Exactly, exactly. And it could be the ifs are coming from stars, they're coming from black holes, the ifs are coming up through the bottom of the earth, 
through the other side. In fact, we have sent some of you in Australia have written us, so that's awesome. Keep doing it. Um, but the ifs are coming in from you, so send us your ifs. Feedback at whattheif.com. And now, as we imagine, all these ifs coming into our enormous eyes, we cannot help but scream in terror. Love it. Love. Love.